0: Alan Lightman is a famous physicist at MIT, and he's actually a novelist. He um, wrote a wonderful novel called Einstein's Dreams that I just love. But he's always been fascinated as a physicist from a young age with light, the shape that light can take, the way that light can fall upon things, and people, and spaces, and how fast light could travel. He grew up in Memphis, and he um, and his brother, when they were kids, used to try to to see how fast light would travel, and they had this experiment where they would sit in their bedroom, and they would look at the far wall, and one of them would flick the lights on, and they'd try to look at that far wall and see if it'd take a second or two for the light to get there, and they said they never could capture the speed of light. It was so fast, instantaneously, one brother would flip the switch and there it was on the far wall 10 or 12 feet away. I've heard Alan Lightman say about the speed of light that once he got older and really studied it and learned how fast light traveled, that he concluded that between two breaths, a flicker of light can fly to the moon and back. Which is his play um, as a lover of words on what is one of my favorite expressions. I love you to the moon and back. Light is absolutely fascinating. It's really fascinating out here in the West in part because the lack of humidity As a southerner, I know this. If you've moved from another part of the country, you know this. The lack of humidity means that light just moves through the air in a different way that it doesn't when there's moisture up there. It certainly moves and feels differently here in Denver and in the mountains because we're closer to it. And we see it in such a vivid, vivid way. Perhaps one of the most mysterious dimensions of light is that it's not just out there, but it's in here. We can see it in our eyes. We can see it in each other if we're paying close attention. We can sometimes see it in the actions of human beings. There's a poet that I love named Miller Williams, and I think he has a a brilliant and playful and short poem that picks up on all of this in a Haunting and and lovely way. The title of the poem is The Light in the Eyes, and it goes like this The Light in the Eyes, Who Knows Where It Goes? That's it. (laughs) The Light in the Eyes, Who Knows Where It Goes? It's just incredible every now and then if you're really paying close attention and look in someone else's eyes over a conversation, over a story breaking of bread, laughter, tears. When we pay close attention, you can see that light. You can feel it. It's just incredible. And on a day like this, when we come forward and someone, another human being, looks you in the eye and says, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation, looking In your eyes where the light is. The prologue to John's gospel is fascinated by this light business. One of the greatest lines in this poem ever is that the true light, the light that enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. The light that enlightens everyone was coming into the world. This this transcendent light that, that, that fascinates everybody from cosmologists and physicists to artists to human beings to people in search of warmth. It's fascinated everybody and will continue to fascinate everyone. This transcendent light in John's gospel begins to have this very personal shape and warmth, and that's the birth of Christ, Light incarnate, this mysterious light, has a particular shape and color and movement. And if you just read John's gospel from beginning to end, and if there's anything I'd suggest to you for the new year, try it. Read it from beginning to end. See the shape that the light takes from beginning to end. It's it's magical. It's sacramental. Shortly after the birth of Christ, Christ really is not a baby, and is all of a sudden an adult, and is at the wedding at Cana, and they run out of wine, and it's the first sign, and Christ is the one who shows them that they had more wine than they ever realized, if they would just look in the right place. And the light keeps taking shape, and throughout this whole gospel, people come to Christ if they're just in need of help, a man born blind, a person whose child is sick, and the light has this shape of, of, of healing. People who are hungry come to Christ. The feeding of the 5,000. And the shape of this light is the shape of justice. And all are fed. And all are fed. And the light takes the shape of friendship. I think that could be as poignant as as anything in this gospel. Jesus has friends. Matthew, I mean, sorry, Martha and Mary and Lazarus are his friends. The light weeps at the death of one of his friends. The light brings great joy. And then at the end of the gospel, the bookend to the birth, is of course the death of Christ. And most mysteriously of all, after three days, we see that this light, this transcendent light, can even shine in the valley of the shadow of death. Can even shine in death if we would but open our eyes. How do we accept the light? How do we live with the light? Is a fascinating question. And I think it's most easily answered on Christmas Day, not Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, it's dark outside. So you've picked the better service for one reason at least and not just the fact that there's a little more parking. (laughs) It's these stained glass windows. The artistic glory of this place is undoubtedly the clerestory windows, which are the the tall ones on your right and your left. They were designed by a famous um, stained glass artist named Charles Connick. And he said of these windows, they are playgrounds for the afternoon sun. And I think they have the Christmas lesson. I think they get it perfectly. The brilliant blues, all of the lights. And the mystery of the stained glass is this, that the light shines through it. The light shines through it. We ourselves are not the light. The church itself is not the light. And we get into all sorts of trouble when we confuse ourselves with the transcendent light. The Christmas lesson instead is simply to let the light shine in and through you. And the great Christmas mystery is that we come to a place like this in order to remember the light, in order to see it as vividly as possible, to see the light in Holy Communion, to see the light in our neighbor, to see the light in these hymns we sing, to see the light in each other. But once we begin to recognize the light, we can see it everywhere. Because as John said, it's the light that enlightens everyone. We can look for it outside of this cathedral. We can look for it outside of our families. We can look for it outside of our comfort zones. We can look for it and see it everywhere. Life is but a grand pursuit of the light. And when we finally see it in ourselves and in others and see it everywhere, not just in church and not just on Christmas Day, it will indeed be Christmas because we will have recognized the true light that comes into the world has been made known in Christ and everywhere. Merry Christmas.